The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Of all the earth, be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you, Chase, for reading. Um... My name is Ben, and I'm on staff here, and we're glad you're here with us. If this is your first time, welcome. Um, this is a place where there's many on-ramps to get involved, uh, to be known, and to know others, and so we're glad you're here. Um, and we are wrapping up this uh, morning a sermon series from the summer. Next week, we'll start a, our fall sermon series in the book of Acts, seeing how God really does move in the early church uh, as Jesus has le- uh, ascends, and um, what that movement looks like, and it's all about witnessing. But... That's next week. Uh, This week, we're wrapping up our sermon series for the summer called Dispositions of the Heart. We have been looking at the life of David. In 1 and 2 Samuel, this Old Testament historical books, what does the life of David look like? And what's in his heart? What are things to commend, to to hold up and say, this is noteworthy and, uh, and notable? Have this be true in your life. And here are also other things in his heart, a disposition in his heart that actually, because we share the same flesh and bone and blood, uh, it's in you and I. What are things we should be aware of? And so um, in this exploration of the dispositions of the heart in the life of David, we'll end this morning in a heart of heritage as we look at 2 Kings uh, 1. This historical book, it's an honest picture of David, but a heart of heritage. Johnny Cash's, a boy named Sue, Cat Stevens' father and son, Eric Clapton's My Father's Eyes, uh, Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle, and yes, oh yes, even Creed's With Arms Wide Open. The tie that binds them all is the dynamic between a father and a son or a parent and a child imparting some kind of wisdom on how to navigate the world well. It's a topic that we have in our society, but, but certainly in the human heart, a great deal of weight in and recognition of. It's a good thing to pass on, here's how to live life well. Here's how you really should live life well. And here in first, uh, 2 Kings 1, um, the first chapter of 2 Kings, it's an Old Testament historical book, we see David, he is about to die and he knows it. And he says, bring Solomon here. I'm going to give him the final words. I'm going to give him, I'm going to pass on a heritage to him on how to live life well. A heart of heritage. And so 
We see that, and we'll explore that this morning as he's on his deathbed, David the father talking to son Solomon. Here is my parting gift, parting words to you. And so as we are a modern world, engaging and looking at an ancient context and story, we have to acknowledge a few things. Because for us in the modern world, uh, as we look at this parental and uh child relationship of imparting wisdom, um, for some of us, we look at what we've been given. We look at the generation that has handed down a heritage. And for some, you have a great relationship with your parents. They gave you much to equip you to live life well. And for some, it's maybe more complex. That there were some really helpful things and some other things that you've really had to parse out or are parsing out. For some, you know what, it was really not that great. Not that helpful and healthy and formative. And for others, it was non-existent. As we look at what we have been given, because we all have parents. That's why you're here. It's another conversation. But the flip side of that coin, too. And we now, if you are older, maybe you have children. And you have a great relationship with your kids. And actually, you've kind of got this parenting thing down. Or maybe it's more complex. And there are things that you're really, you, you're majoring in and really, really nailing. And things that, uh, the, the, the fuse is short on, on a couple items. The cup runs thin on. Maybe, maybe you're not even married. So you have no heritage to pass on to someone. Maybe you have kids, but you're not married. And now you're having to pass on a heritage just to, just by yourself. Maybe... Maybe you want a child more than the air you breathe. We've listed a lot of stations in life just now. So what does an ancient story about a son getting wisdom from his father have to do with us if it's not the exact station in life we find ourselves in? And I think what David is telling his son Solomon once him to grab and us to grab is a heart of heritage. So we're going to say the word heritage a lot. What does it mean? And David wants a true heart of heritage for his son because a heart of heritage is this. It's tapping into God's grand story that is not just something that's true in time, but it's true across time. That David wants his son Solomon for and for us right now in 2023 to tap into God's grand story, to to receive that heritage and live into it. And so when I say heritage, I'm not talking about, oh, you know, my parents did this and they were here and they knew these people and they their parents were there and did that. Heritage is the, answering the question of what story am I living into right now? What story am I believing? Am I, am I living in light of? And as we look at that and examine it, we'll see in, in 2 Kings 1, we'll see in David kind of three things that we should mark. Uh, first, a hunger for heritage. We're hungry for a heritage. Uh, second, what's a healthy heritage? A healthy heritage. Third, a humble heritage we've been given. Humble heritage. So hunger, healthy, humble. Uh, with that in mind, uh, let's go to a God who longs, uh, as we tap into his grand story, and as he is the story writer, let's go to him as we all take our own stories and tap it into his. Let's pray. Lord, all of us want to be Solomon in this moment, not because we're about to inherit a kingdom or riches or power, 
But we want to be Solomon because he is about to hear words from a father that has his best interest in mind. And we all long to have an experience with our earthly father and certainly our heavenly father where our best interest is in mind and we're safe. And Lord, we also all want to be David in this passage, that we have something to pass on, that, that we have an ear to our words to receive the things we feel like are, are, are waiting worthy. As we find ourselves in these two situations and even more, uh, Lord, would you meet us? This topic of heritage and um, of how to live life well, it's such a big topic and feel nebulous. Would you make it real and palatable, applicable, but, but beautiful? We pray this all because, Jesus, you want that for us this very day. We come to you expecting much because that is what you have asked of us. Would you encounter us and we encounter you this very day because you can. Pray in your name. Amen. So first, uh, a, hung, a hunger for heritage, a hunger. Over the past few weeks, we have seen the life of David play out. And in First Samuel 16, he was a shepherd boy. He was the runt of the family. His father didn't even recognize him by his name. And he then all of a sudden goes from keeping the sheep out in the field to being the next king of Israel. And then the next chapter we see he goes and he kills Goliath, the giant killer. And then after that, we see him have this deep friendship with uh, the current, at that time, king's son, Saul, his son, Jonathan. A heart of friendship. We see him be merciful uh, to the house of Saul as he cares for Mephibosheth. We see him, how he's make a covenant with God. All these different things that, that we've looked at this summer in the life of David. And we're ending with a heart of heritage. And he's, like we've said, in his final days, he sees the TED Talk timer just winding down. And he realizes, I have few breaths left. And so, he says, Solomon, bring, bring my son to me on my deathbed. I want, I want to talk to him and tell him my final words. That's what Second Kings 1 is, the final words of David answering the prompt of this, of sharing the sage wisdom to the secrets of life. He's passing on the sage wisdom to his son about the secrets of life. And with that prompt in mind, no small thing to, say, to share the sage wisdom of the secrets of life, when someone's on their deathbed, when you, when you know that they have just a few words left, your ear is right next to their, their mouth. I mean, you are saying, because of the stage of life and death, this play is being played out on, I'm going to listen. There's a weight to this moment right here. And I would offer, that's probably not your everyday reality, to soak up all these, these, these last moment uh, words that are imparting and weighty and wise. But actually, I probably would offer that and imagine our most everyday, ordinary opportunities for these secret moments, uh, you know, secrets to the way of life, sage wisdom, uh, don't come in, in the life and death, but they just kind of come in passing. And probably most of us uh, receive that in such a way like Charlie Brown does the teacher. It's just this wah, 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 right? There's no receptivity to it. When we hear people say to us, here is the secrets of life. Here's how life is should be lived well. Usually we will dismiss it. 
And maybe we'll even reject it. Or maybe we're even offended by it. Right? There's, there's the ability to receive some wisdom from other people. And in fact, not receive it, but just flush it. Make it small, not big. And to this point, uh, David Brooks, he's an author, and he's a New York Times uh, op-ed writer, wrote a New York Times op-ed, and the, it was entitled, The Morality of Selfism, The Gospel of Saint You. And so it's satirical, it's funny. When you were reading this, you can laugh. It's okay. I like to laugh in church. So I like to laugh at me. Uh, but he says in a satirical way, and gets at this point of, when we encounter wisdom outside of ourselves, it never cracks the shell that we have put up. And in this uh, gospel of St. You, the morality of selfism, here's what he says. He says, it's satirical. Remember, he's joking. He says this, he says, you probably want to be a good person, but you also may be completely absorbed, self-absorbed. So you may be thinking, there's no way I can be good if I'm also a narcissist. Isn't being good about caring about others, other people? But how wrong you are. We live in a culture of selfism, a culture that puts a tremendous emphasis on self, on self-care, on self-display. And one of the things we've discovered is that you can be a very good person while thinking only about yourself. In the first place, when people hold up external standards of moral excellence, that is, how life should be lived, they often make you feel judged. These people make you feel sad because you may not live up to the standard. It's very cruel of them to make you feel troubled in this way. When somebody does this, you should just say, this makes me feel judged and walk away. Don't stoop to their level. The second problem with these external standards is that they are very hard to relate to. Uh, people are always talking about how Nelson Mandela came out of prison and tried to usher in an era of forgiveness and reconciliation. That's all very well and good for Nelson Mandela. But what does this have to do with your life? If people are talking to you, shouldn't they be focusing their attention on your life? Shouldn't they be saying things you can relate to? If somebody starts talking about a grand hero who's dead or lives far away, you should respond. You should just respond. Sorry, that's not relatable. These people need to have to learn to keep it real. The good news is that these days we don't base our values on moral excellence. We base them on meaning. People are always saying they want to lead a meaningful life. They want to do things that have meaning. And one of the great things about meaning is it's all about the emotions you yourself already have. We say that an experience has meaning when we, uh, when the tingly, meaningful feeling wells up inside. Picture yourself shopping at a farmer's market where everything's locally grown. Do you feel the tingly, meaningful feeling welling up inside? Of course you do. The other great thing about meaning is that everybody gets to define meaning in his or her own way. You don't have to read a lot of thick books or have hard experiences to feel meaning. Just do what gives you good feelings. The other good 
The other great thing about meaning is that everybody gets to define meaning in his or her own way. So then it would make sense when we encounter some kind of heritage, grand story of how to live life well and navigate the gray, when we encounter it from someone else who authors it and not ourselves, of course we're going to dismiss it. Of course, because we're not the ones that named the game. We're not the ones that set the rules. We're not the one that, that articulated how to live life well. And what I would offer actually is that is not a hatred of heritage or a disdain for heritage. That's not a hatred of longing to know how the world works. That actually is showing you you're hungry for it. And I'm hungry for it. Because even though we may reject someone's thought of how to live life well, how to have this grand heritage and grand story, even as we reject someone else's, we choose to believe that we know what is right. And we have a hunger for a heritage of how to live life well that we ourselves author. And David Brooks satirically writes this. And David in the Bible would offer to us that we are to live life well by drawing ourselves out of ourselves and not looking in, but instead looking out for something more beautiful, more great than we could ever muster up or author, tapping us into a bigger story. This week I flew uh, to Illinois. I went to a wedding in Illinois and I sat next to, um, in Chicago O'Hare, we're going to Chicago to Peoria. It is approximately a seven and a half minute flight. And so I thought, okay, this is great. I've been an introvert the first lag part of the trip. I'm going to be an extrovert. So next to this woman, I say, hello, ma'am. And it's the plane is the size of this, this tray right here. And so when you have to flap your wings on a plane that small, it gets hard. But I say, hello, what, what brings you to, to Peoria, Illinois? And so we begin talking. And then all of a sudden we realize I'm, we're delayed an hour on the tarmac. So I have... Written the check, I cannot cash. And so <laughs> we began talking for a long time. But it was a wonderful conversation. But anyway, she's she lives in England. Oh, what live you know, what do you do in England? What brings you to Peoria, Illinois? Anyway, she's retired. She's in finance, retired. What are you doing in retirement in Peoria when you live across the pond? She said, Oh, I'm going to a research project. I say, Oh, do you do research? No, it's just volunteer work. Well, what what is it? And she said, I'm going to, to look into uh, a man named David Strother. Oh, I said, yes, I've, of course, David, old Dave's work. I don't know who David Strother is. And David Strother was the first man to ever cast a ballot who was an African-American in this country. And he lived 150, 60, 70 years ago. And a woman who's retired in finance, living in England, is now flying across the country for, without pay, strictly volunteer because of a curiosity of what made the first black man tick to think I'm going to change the rest of history forever in our country. She's hungry to know what made him tick. What story did he play into? There's a hunger we have to see how life is supposed to be. And here we're invited to not inward, but outward. And there's a point in the Old Testament after David dies, after his son Solomon even dies, and the, the, the nation that they led is really 
in horrific shape. It has gone nose down dive, and uh, people are the uh, people of Israel are cast into exile. Meaning, people have come in, taken them over, and brought them away, took them away. And at one point, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. He's given this job description of, hey, you should go to the people of Israel and you're going to tell them what I have to tell of them. God's saying this. And they're not going to listen. And in fact, everything you say and do, it will not come to realization until long after you're dead. Does that sound good? Is that a good job? And he doesn't. And anyway, so he goes to the people and he says this. It says uh, in, in Jeremiah 6, he says, this is what the Lord says. Uh, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Be humble enough to ask and then bold enough to walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Being closed off to a story that's bigger than yourself. It's the pedigree we live in. And yet it's something we long and have a hunger for. And so what does a healthy heritage look like? If that's what we have a hunger for, what's this next idea? What's a healthy heritage that we are invited into by David? And David, he's having this charge to his son. And, and, and really, if you just take the first couple words, you can read it like this. He says, I'm on my deathbed. Bring my, bring my boy to me. And he says, be strong. Show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God. Be a man. Now, if that's what he actually said, all of a sudden, it's actually more troubling than helpful. Because if you're a woman, this doesn't apply to you at all. And if you are a man, this probably isn't very helpful because you have to do well and you can't do well with your failure. And in fact, this like toxic masculinity really does get sideways. And the truth is, and the beautiful truth is, there's this gender inclusivity to the words of David. He's saying it to his son, yes. But he's saying it more so to the human heart. Across time, men and women, every station of life. He says in verse 2 and on, he says, be strong. Be strong. There's a re- reality is there's a gentleness to his voice. Before he dies, he says, be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And then he dies. So final words. Notice, David does not talk about David's successes. He doesn't say, hey, Solomon, I'm, I'm, about to, um, I'm about to go six feet under, and here's what I want you to know. Be like me. I was a giant slayer, and you know what? I took all the enemies and drove them out. And you know what I did also? I reestablished Jerusalem and brought the ark back. Everything is great when I am king. Be so, therefore, be a king like me. 
He doesn't talk about his successes. And also, he does not talk about his failures. Though he is marked with sin, and we looked at it last week, uh, looking at his repentance, in this beautiful Psalm 51, though he has failed much, he doesn't say, hey, Solomon, I'm about to die. And you know what? That adultery stuff with your mom, Bathsheba, I, that was, I really messed up there, and I goofed. And when I killed uh, you know, her husband at the time, Uriah, and then covered it up, and then just kept on going callously, that, that wasn't good. Therefore, just don't do bad. David here doesn't say, be good, don't be bad. The beauty of David's words, what a healthy heritage is, is this. Getting yourself out of the way so that others can tap into the grand story God is writing. David never mentions himself once here. In his parting words to his son, he gets out of the way. Because if he did mention himself, the problem is he would die moments later and everything he would say would die with him. But he gives his son this truth that's true across time. He doesn't talk about how great he is because that's not a healthy heritage. He doesn't talk about even how messed up he is, even though he's honest. That's not a healthy heritage. A healthy heritage is, as one person put it, we are all beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread. Each and every night, 1700 Union Avenue, come on over to our house. At 7 o'clock, we put our kids down. We try to, at least. And um, every time we read books and do stories and sing songs, and then at the very end, I lay each fox, our year-and-a-half-old son, and Teddy, our three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I lay them in their bed, and I, I look at them, and I say to them the same words to each of them, my son and my daughter, every single night. And I say, hey, Teddy, I love you. And Teddy, Jesus loves you. And he came to be your king. Make him the king of your heart and know the abundant life. Fox, I love you. And Jesus loves you. And he came to be your king. Make him the king of your heart and know the abundant life. David didn't talk about himself. And, I, and I, I am talking about me in that at the very beginning. I love you. And I do want them to know their father's love, their earthly father's love. Because I'm mad about them. I'm wild about them. And then everything after that is me getting out of the way to make sure my role as a father gets them to the person of a heritage that's healthy and beautiful and bigger than what my successes are and bigger than what my failures are. It gets them straight to Jesus. And a healthy heritage moves themselves out of the way so others, whether you have children, whether you're married, whether you're not married, whether you don't have children, whatever it may be, gets others to Jesus. The best thing you can give someone is not your successes or even the lessons from your failure. The best thing you can get others is getting them to Jesus. And that's what David does. He says, be strong and look at God's way of life. Get them straight to the Lord of all things. So, if that's what a healthy heritage is, if that's what the grand story is, the, the way that good life should be lived, the question for us is, what's the grand story you're tapping into?
what thing are you living into that the questions you're answering with the way in which you operate as this is the way this is the this is where the good life is found what story are you tapping into because then you need to ask the question what is good about that story if it is the gospel story what is good about it if it's not what's good about the story you're living into how does it benefit you but also how does it benefit every single one around you across all time what is the story we're tapping into We hunger for heritage. David gives us a healthy heritage that gets himself out of the way. But what's this last idea of a, of a humble heritage? How, what's, what's a heritage of humility? This grand story of humility. David passes on wisdom, the manual of the human heart to his son. That's calibrated, that's full, a purposeful life, that taps into God's story. But, but how do we do it? How do we get practical? What does it look like for us right this moment? And while we should, we need to acknowledge everything David says is commendable in this. And it is not irrelevant. It's still true, very true. And while we should listen to David, we need to look at the true and better David. We should listen to the king, the first king of Israel, the first king of the people. But we should look to the model of what the last king, the true king, Jesus, modeled. And it was a... Heritage of humility. Jesus shows us, speaks of it too, obviously in his ministry and life, but on the cross shows us actually this beautiful, full, calibrated, purposeful way in which the greatest thing you can have is given to you, just as David gave the greatest thing he has to his son. And the greatest thing Jesus does and shows is, I'm being humble. Humble to the point of, of death on a cross, the road down of doubt or mobility. That's what we see in Jesus. He's saying, I'm giving you this myself, a sacrifice. I'm being humble to sacrifice myself. And in, in Philippians 2, there's this beautiful passage where Paul is writing in the New Testament to this church in Philippi, and he's saying, I have this goal for you all. Love each other so well that you get out of the way, and you actually live like Jesus lives. You actually live humbly. And he says this. He says uh, in verse 5 and on in Philippians 2, And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found as an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore... God exalted him to the place, highest place, and gave him the name of every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself for you to the point of death. He did it all so you could be rescued. You and I are, are the story of Christianity is we're rescued through humility, through his humility. Or rescued through humility. In one of the greatest films ever, Saving Private Ryan, 1998, we see Tom Hanks leads men onto the beach of Normandy. It's it's a, a graphic movie, just beware. But he leads men onto the beach of Normandy, and they're going like everyone else on D-Day to overtake the enemy, and um, 
once they get through the front lines and they kind of get together and they're realizing, wait, this invasion didn't go exactly as we planned, they get together and actually all of a sudden this new group of men are given a new mission. And their new mission is not to take the Nazis out or overtake the enemy. Their new mission is actually to go save one person. Save Private Ryan. Hint the name of the movie. And so they go and they're tasked to save Private Ryan because this woman in Iowa has lost all of her sons in battle in World War II, except James Ryan. And there's a new policy that says we want to make sure that there's no one um, family that loses all of their children for the cause. So we're going to go extract the one surviving son and take him back to be with his family. So this whole journey of saving Private Ryan, this group of men are no longer trying to defeat the Nazis, but take and find Adam, uh, not Adam Ryan. He's a member here. Great guy. To save James Ryan from Iowa. And as they're going, uh, somebody dies in their, in their brigade, their crew. And they're, they're advancing on, and then somebody else dies. And they're, they're getting closer to finding Private Ryan. And then somebody else dies. And at the very, towards the end of the movie, we see that um, Private Ryan is had. He is got by this brigade. And there's a final push that we see the enemy tries to take this brigade out again. And of course, this brigade wins. And Tom Hanks is the leader of this crew. And they, he goes and actually... It, Tom Hanks gets shot. And Tom Hanks is going to die. And as he has this bold last push to save everybody and blow up this bridge and the enemy can't advance anymore. After that, there's kind of this settling moment. And Private Ryan, who has just been saved, just been captured, so that he can go back home to his grieving mother, walks up to Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks, laying on his back, seconds away from death, grabs him, pulls him in, goes up to his ear, and says the words, earn this. Earn this. The cost to save you has cost many people's life. Therefore, live a life that is worth their blood. Live a life that's worth saving. And the movie ends this way. It's a spoiler. It's 25 years old. It's on you. <laughs> but the movie ends this way. The movie ends by this 80-year-old Private Ryan standing at Tom Hanks's grave. And he falls to his knees and his wife comes up to him. And he says the, this, just the haunting words. He says, am I a good man? That's his way of asking a question he was haunted with his whole life of trying to earn the fact that he has been saved. He was rescued through humility at the cost of many, and he's still haunted with, did I accomplish enough? And friends, when we take that paradigm and apply it to our life, we say, yes, Jesus, you rescued us through your humility. Yes, you had your blood pay for us. Yes, you died for me. And then all of a sudden, we say to ourselves, 
And we hear a haunting word from Jesus of earn this. And we feel like we have to live such a life that makes his blood worth what our life looks like. And if you're successful in life, you'll be prideful. And if you're marked with failure, you'll be just destitute and full of despair. And if you're not a Christian, you look at that model. Of course, that's not a beautiful story to live into. That's paying off debt. But the true heritage of humility, the true thing that Jesus imparts to his people, the grand story, the best thing he can give as he dies, he says, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He doesn't say, boy, you're going to be sorry pretty soon. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, not so that you have to now shamefully try to be a good person. He humbled himself to purchase you. And he humbly did it because he wants you. And that grand story, that that humble heritage is now one in which that doesn't say, earn your keep. It says, I'm crazy about you. And know that the way I see you is you're worth it. And the best thing you have to pass on is not your successes in life. And the, the, the best thing you have to pass on is not how humble you, humble you are in your failure. The best thing you have to pass on is look at a Jesus who sees me in my specific story and has, has tapped me into his one of humility where life is found on the other side of death. Maybe if it's true of him, it can be true of me. Maybe if he found life through death in humility, maybe I can do the same. Let's pray. Lord, your servant David, when he was dying, he was not holding a mirror to look at himself. And and he wasn't even having eyes to his son, thinking of the, the pride he has and how strong his son will be and what he established here on earth. Your servant David, the, the, the first king, the great king, He was looking at you, Lord. And that shaped everything around him and how he operated and and lived life. As we all find ourselves living in some kind of story, if it's one where we're holding a mirror and looking at our failures or our successes, Lord, would you gently pull the mirror down so we can refocus our eyes on you? If we're looking at others around and thinking of our, the way in which the greatest thing we have are the people to our left and our right, would you also fix our eyes on you? And when we do that, Lord, would you give us the boldness and courage and faith to know that when we look at you, everything else falls into its place and actually becomes more beautiful. For those who are comfortable, would you bring disturbance? And for those who are disturbed, would you bring comfort? 
also that we may see and know and experience the freedom humility has for us as we tap into your story, your heritage, the life you offer us. We pray in your name. Amen. And for those who are disturbed, would you bring comfort? Also that we may see and know and experience the freedom humility has for us as we tap into your story, your heritage, the life you offer us. We pray in your name. Amen.